Anyways, we're starting a new series, and I hope you guys do take some notes on this. There's some good stuff in here. We've been talking about 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and going through um, Paul's letter to them, kind of getting the church back on track. But I want to start this new series called, Who Do You Think You Are? And it's about the Christian's identity. It's about all of us that um, when we met Jesus Christ and we promised to obey him and to believe in him and to trust him and make him the Lord of our life, something changed. Our lives should have changed. And we know they did. And a lot of times in the beginning is when we're the most excited and psyched on the Lord, right? It's like, whoa, I can't believe I was a sinner. I was all of this. God didn't need to do what he did, but he loved me. He reached out to me. Here's the the definition of religion versus relationship. Religion is man trying to please God. Relationship is God reaching out to man, right? That's what we know as Christians is that God reached out to us. It's not about do all these good things and then maybe you'll make it to heaven. It's the fact that you'll never make it to heaven except the God in heaven loved you, sent his own son to come down here to relate with us so that we could have this relationship with him. But I think when we're new Christians, we're all excited. We understand, oh, God, he's, he's this awesome father. Jesus, he's, he's my friend. The Holy Spirit, he's in my life. He's changing me. There's power. I'm, I'm so open to all of this good stuff. And after a while, we kind of get too used to it. And we get complacent. And our view of God starts to change. And we're wondering why our lives aren't as exciting and empowered as they once were. And we don't feel that close to God. Here's what I believe. Is that God never changes. God promised he'll never leave us, never forsake us. It's against his whole character to change at all. He always loves us the same. The problem is our view of God changes. And when our view of God changes, it changes everything in our relationship with him and in our life. Would you guys agree? And so we need to sometimes come back to basics and focus our view of who we are and who God is on the basics, on how he set himself up to be, how he described himself in our lives. And today we're going, to be, we're going to be starting the first of a series of five things, and it's kind of an ID check, Christian ID check. Any of you guys um, still get carded when you go out, you know, and how good that feels? Come on, yeah? I, I take my wife out to a nice dinner or something, and I get, oh, I'd like a glass of wine or whatever, and it's like, can I see your ID? I'm like, yes, you can, Woohoo! 41 years old, three kids, married 16 years, Yes, you can see my ID. You know, and you're just like, that's right, I look young, right? And you feel good about yourself. And so it's kind of along the same lines as we need to take an ID check on ourselves to see where our Christianity is at, to really see, are we looking at ourselves the right way and realizing all that God has done for us now that we're Christians? Um, Some of us, maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know, I'm not a Christian, I'm thinking about it, I'm here today, tell me what it's like to be a Christian. What do I get? What changes in my identity? And I think the first thing that we're going to look at today is our relationship with God changes drastically. But it's not not a religious type of relationship. We have to remember it is a very, very personal relationship. And God wants himself to be viewed to us as very personal. And you look at your notes right now, and I'm going to preach on three things. I'm going to preach on the fact that God is a personal God, but there's three persons to him. Right? He's, he's the Trinity. He's the, the Holy Godhead, the three-in-one God. He is God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, who is also God, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not just, oh, different aspects of one guy. It's actually in the Bible. We see in many verses, each one of them is called a he and a separate. And there's verses in the Bible that actually mention all three different persons of God in the same context. So we know this very clearly that there's three parts of God. Now, I don't think that I could do a a good job of explaining to you completely what the Trinity is. I think theologians and 
commentators for years have tried to argue and kind of try to kind of define it. It's one of those things where we just kind of got to let God be God and we got to stop trying to figure it out because we're just dumb humans. Let's be real, right? There's only so much we know because God is who he is. He's above us. And if we don't remember to keep God in that place, then we start to become gods and that's not a good thing, right? So there's some things about God that we just got to let God be God. People try to explain the Trinity like this. Well, he's like an egg. There's the shell, there's the white, and there's the yolk. Three different things in one, right? And you're kind of like, almost, right? And then, well, God's kind of like water. He could be liquid, vapor, or ice. Oh, that's kind of good, but no, still quite, doesn't quite make it. And we're never going to really understand it until we get to heaven. But what we do got to realize is that we got to embrace God for who he is. And to make the relationship personal, you and I, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that we have a really different and distinctive relationship with each person in the Trinity. And God wouldn't have it any other way. We sometimes get to the point where we've been Christians a long time and we just view God as, oh, God. He's that guy out there. He loves me, but you don't really embrace all the different character and attributes of him. And today I'm hoping that we're going to understand and for some of us go right back to basics and remember the different type of personal relationship that God can offer us and that it's, it's different with each part of who God is. Um, first of all, we're going to look at how God is our father and he's not just some boss or some holy rule keeper or there's some powerful entity out there. But he's our father, he's our friend, and he's our helper. Those three things we're going to focus on today, it makes it personal to us. Um, the sooner we recognize the different personal things about God, the different our life starts to become, our walk with him starts to become. I've got a video for you this morning. And the video, some of you might have seen it before. It's been on YouTube and stuff. But um, it's a video that is about a father and a son. But really, the father in this uh, relationship kind of, encapsulates all that I'm trying to, is that a good word, encapsulates? That's a big word, huh? Just came to me. Oh, I'm I'm pretty, good job, Carl. That's a big one, encapsulates. Uh, All three of the character personalities of God. In in this video, you're going to see this father relating to his son as a father, a loving father. I believe as a friend, friendship is built on sacrifice and loyalty, and then also as a helper, enabling his son to do things he could never do on his own. So take a look at this video and I hope it kind of stirs something up in you. Take a look at this.
Isn't that a good, good story? How many of you guys are crying? Come on. You know, in putting together this sermon this week, I, um, we, we, we collaborate sometimes. I bring in the other pastors, the other preaching pastors, and I'll bring in our youth pastors. And this past week in my office, I, I was talking to uh, Pastor Frank and Pastor Brad, and we're just kind of looking at this and going, here's the sermon this week. We want people to really understand how personal God is to us and that our relationship now that we're Christians with this God who is far away, who created us to love us and have relationship with us, but we messed up in the Garden of Eden and original sin, but then he's called us back through Jesus Christ so that we can have this tight relationship and that I want the people to make sure that we all understand he's our God, he's our Father, he's proud of us, he's our helper, he's the Holy Spirit, he's our friend, he's, he's Jesus. And so we were putting this sermon together, going over the notes, and I said, hey, I found this really good video, what do you guys think? So I made Frank and Brad sit in my office and watch this video, right? And at the end of it, they're both just like, I'm crying right now. I'm crying. Yeah, I'm just going to cry. And they're just losing it. And it's like, it's, it's so moving. But I really hope, here's my heart for you guys today, this message. It isn't that I want to preach a good message. It's I want your heart to understand there's a God in heaven that's your loving heavenly Father. And he's proud of you. And he cares about you. He is not a religious great entity that is out there. But he is a God that wants to have a personal relationship. Look at, look at the first verse that I got for you in John 1, 12. The Bible, the word of God, the truth, the standard in our lives actually tells us that this is a fact that we are God's children. So we have to trust the Bible that what, but when we believed in Jesus, we were transferred from living out there far from God right into relationship with God where the Bible tells us we're actually his kids John 1.12 says, but to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. This is where we get the term, you're a born again. You're one of those born agains. Yes, we are. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And it's interesting how it says, all who believed him and accepted him. See, all of this relationship can take place and change only if you believe and accept him. There's a difference between just believing and believing and accepting. Because there's a a verse in scripture that says, even the demons believe who Jesus is, but they shudder, right? Because they don't accept him. They're not going to make it into heaven. Their lives aren't changed, but they believe in him. So we want to be people that say, to get the full package, to get the real relationship with God, I don't just believe what he did for me. I completely accept this relationship that he's offering. That means some of us, we got to take a new view or maybe go back to basics and it's hard for us in, as men in here sometimes to go, oh, that intimacy, that loving, that, that stuff. No, but you know what? You got to let the guard down and you got to let God be your dad. You got to let him just love you because the word of God says that, that we are called his children. So you got to believe in him and you got to personally accept it. But here's the, the second thing beyond the Bible says that we're God's children. Secondly, God personally calls us his children. See, it gets better than just the Bible saying, you're now his kids. Oh, thank you. That's good to know. But now it says right here in scripture that God personally calls us his children. John, 1 John 3, 1 and 2 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we're God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But he's just talking about the personal nature that God personally calls us his kids. You know, I understand this thing very well, this relationship with God as more than just um, a boss. Because a lot of us sometimes have gotten into the thing of, well, God is the boss and I got to obey him. 
Yes, the Bible does tell us that he's the master, we're the servants, but he's more than that. I uh, moved back to Hawaii from living in the mainland for a while. I moved back about 10 years ago. The reason I moved back is because I got hired. I got hired to be a worker, an employee here in this church. Um, I got hired to be a youth pastor, which eventually turned into a college pastor, men's pastor, preaching the services, and now I'm the lead pastor of this church. But for 10 years, up until just earlier this year, I had a boss, and his name was Ralph, Ralph Moore. Ever heard of him? Yeah, he's <laughs> kind of built the whole church and everything, but um, my boss was Ralph Moore, and he was a good boss, and there's stuff that he required me to do as a, as a pastor on staff with him, and sometimes maybe I didn't agree, but it doesn't matter, because I'm the worker, he's the boss, and he's got the, the heart of the church and, the, and everything in mind, so he was a good boss, and I, I knew him as a boss. I'd come to work, and we'd talk about the things to run the church. But secondly, beyond that, was something even better than just the boss. He's actually been my senior pastor for my whole life. Even though I went away for years and was in different churches in the mainland and stuff, my dad has always been my senior pastor. So I get, get to have this relationship where he's a boss. He's a good boss. I work for him. But then I get this pastoring thing where it's like he teaches me spiritual truth. He believed in me. He gave me chances in the ministry. And wow, that's even better. But then thirdly, I know him better than any of you guys ever will because I know him in the relationship of father to son. And knowing that my boss and this person that I respect and pastor and all that personally calls me son, that does something for me. That's an even better bonus. And some of us have forgotten that God really wants to be our loving heavenly father. And that, that this father side of the whole relationship is the stuff that he knew me and he saw me at my best and at my worst. And he believed in me and he's proud of me. And he's always there for me. The times when school was hard or scary, I knew that my dad always had my back and he believed it. And it was always hoping for the best. He didn't focus on the negative stuff. And we need to remember to see God. He personally calls us his children. He reached out to us when we didn't deserve it and said, I'm going to send my son Jesus to die for you because I love you so much. And here's one of the things I appreciate about knowing that God is my heavenly father. You know what, what gets me more than anything is the little things that he does for me. Because we always pray the big miracles and God comes through in big ways and that's amazing, that's exciting. And a lot of times that's the big, powerful, wow, he's an amazing God. But I love it when he does the little things in my life, when I'm down and out and I'm going through something hard and I'm just like, God, I'm dealing with this, not, not a good day or not a good week. And God puts it on someone's heart to write me an email or to give me that phone call that's the encouragement. And here's what I see. I see that's a great person and that's a good person of God that's an encouraging friend. But I see the big picture in that God orchestrated it so that my friend would email or call me at the exact time when I was going through something hard and it just lifted me out. And I go, thanks for those friends, God. But really, thanks that you're a father that cares about the details of my life, the little things. Don't you love God for the little things in your life? Come on, don't you guys love him? He's, he's a good God and he's a father and he wants to love us and take care of us in all of those little things. So we can personally call him, you're not just my boss, you're not just my pastor, you're, not, you're my dad. And we need to come back to that relationship. And, and he's, he's always got your back. He's your biggest fan. He's there to support you, no matter what the world thinks of you. The other day, I watched my son run at his school. It was a couple of days ago, Friday, I think it was. Um, he had this thing called the turkey trot. Have you guys heard of that thing? I don't really know what it is. Like, I was trying to get some, some clarity on the turkey, Evan, right? You know, the turkey trot. So I'm like, where's the turkey? I see kids trotting, but where's the turkey? I don't understand. And they just said, oh, it's for Thanksgiving. I'm like, I don't understand why. Is, I thought there was literally going to be turkeys running, or I don't know what I thought, but there's, there's no turkey. But anyway, my kids are running around the field four times. That's all I know, right? 
And so uh, he's in sixth grade. And here's what I know about my son Isaac is, last year when he ran the turkey trot, he struggles with asthma sometimes, right? And so he only got around two times and he lost it. And he was panicking because he was having a hard time breathing. And he got his inhaler and he just had to run right out of the race and he couldn't even finish the race. And he was so bummed and he was just devastated and crying and we're discomforting him. You know, it's okay, man. And so then this year again, he wanted to run it. And I was just so proud that he was just going to go for it just because I know his limitations and he knows them, but he's going for it. In fact, two of his other friends that pulled out last time, they didn't even run it. So he's going, no, I'm going to do it this year. So he runs his race, and and every time as he's going around, this is what I I notice and I love about my son, is that every time he's going around, he's running, there's all the kids cheering him on, everything, and he just gives a really quick, like, look straight to me. He finds me in the crowd, and it's just a quick glance, but I know that he's checking to see if dad's watching, right? And I'm just like, go, Isaac, you're beating all these kids, go for it, you know, just, you got this, keep running, breathe, you know? And he's just like, yeah. But every time around, it's just a glance that just like, that's right, that's what it's all about. I got I to gotta be honest with you, he came in almost dead in the middle of the whole deal. He didn't win, he didn't place or anything like that, and he came off the side, and I'm just like, yeah, son, you did it, and he's like, oh, but you know, all those kids in front of me, and I, you know, I didn't make that, and I didn't that, and you know what, as a good dad, as a good father, I'm just proud that he didn't have the asthma attack, he finished the race. I'm going, but you finished, last year you didn't even make it, you finished, and all I'm looking at is all the kids that he did beat. You guys hear what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, you beat that one, and look, that kid's bigger than you, you smoked him, yeah, right? But this is our heavenly father, this is the view that we have to realize is, he doesn't care about what you didn't do and couldn't accomplish and how far you didn't make it, he's just going, but look at where you came from, and look at how much you did accomplish, and you know what, next time, you're going to get better, because I got your back, and I'm cheering you on. You guys understand how important it is to remember that God is your father, he's so proud of you. He loves you. There's nothing you could do to let him down. He is never going to be disappointed or hate you or be mad at you. He is always going to say, oh, that sin, it disappoints me. It breaks my heart a little bit. But you know what? I'm here to help you. I've forgiven you already. Don't worry. We got this thing. And we got to realize that we can personally call him dad. And then here's the other interesting, neat thing is that um, not only does he personally call us his kids, we personally call him our father. Romans 8, 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. Not only does the Bible say he's our dad, not only does he say he's our father, but we have the privilege of actually going, God, huge, majestic, creator of the universe, you're my dad. The word Abba simply means Papa or daddy. It's an intimate term. Think of when you grew up with your dad. You didn't go around and just report to him as, Father, here I am, right? It was kind of like, Hey, dad, how's it going? Hey, daddy, can you help me out with this? Or, Papa, whatever your term was, it was an intimate term. And, and this is what the Bible is saying. We have this right to do this. He's our protector. Think of your dad. He's our protector. If you're ever scared, you go running into his arms. He's our provider. It says in Psalms that we can, that he's a shield about us, that he's our protector. We can run and hide in the shelter of his wings. And I don't know about you, but I've got kids, and maybe you were like this as a kid. When you get the nightmares in the middle of the night, where do you go running to in the middle of the night? Running into whose room? Mom and dad's, right? You go running into mom and dad's room. And the other night, um, I was laying sound asleep, you know, and I'm just... I'm having a good sleep. I got to go work tomorrow. And I just feel this like, doof, doof, doof. I'm like, oh, what's going on? You know, I'm being mugged, you know? And I'll, I look across my bed and all I see is this little head, you know, like at bed level. And it's my four year old daughter, Sammy. And she's waking me up, Dad, 
I'm scared, I'm scared. And instantly in my head, I know two things. The first thing I know is that, oh no, it's going to be one of those nights where I get about six inches of bed, right, to the edge, and I'm trying to sleep there, and maybe I'm not even going to get the blanket, because four-year-olds tend to move a lot, and they don't, they don't understand the concept of being lined up in the bed head to toe. To them, it's just one big deal, right? So they're like sideways, and then kicking the blanket off, and you know what comes with my daughter anyway, is, I don't know what this is called, like the, the action kick, boom, the, the heels come down. She rolls around, sticks her legs in the air, and then they just come down. So I'm sleeping like this, you know, or like this, you know, and I, and I know what I got to do. It's going to be one of those nights. So I'm kind of like, oh boy, I'm not going to get much sleep. I'm going to get some karate chops to the uvula or something tonight, you know, like, oh God. And, and I know that instantly because I know that that's what's going to happen if she jumps up in her bed. But here's the other thing that I know. How cool it feels to be a dad right at that moment when your kid says, I'm in danger, I'm freaking out, and you are the source of my safety. You are the source of my protection, my comfort, my security. I will sleep well because I'm sleeping with my dad. And I just, you you know, you're kind of going, oh, I'm not going to get sleep, but man, this feels good. It feels, I wish my kids would always remember that I'm always that security. And God, our Father, is saying that. Remember, I'm your Father, not a faraway, big, powerful God. Yes, I'm that. I'm your master. I'm all of that. But I'm here for you. It's okay. When life is overwhelming you, when finances, when relationships, when just schedule and busyness, and you're just like, oh, I'm drowning, you can go to dad. Dad, I'm scared. Help me out. And you can run to him. And he wants that relationship. And I just think we need to be reminded. Is that good? We need to be reminded that he's our father. But secondly, there's more to God than just a father. And I love that, that there's so many personalities and attributes of God. Here, secondly, is Jesus is our friend. Yes, Jesus is our savior. Yes, he's our healer. Yes, he's our mediator. Yes, he's the king of kings and all that stuff. I'm not discounting any of that. But Jesus uses a term in scripture that's a relational, personal term for himself to us, which I think we need to remember. Because if we remember that Jesus is our friend, our best friend, do you know that you're going to live differently? When you see him as just God that's out there, that's one thing. But when you start to understand, oh, he's just my, my friend. I'm just hanging out with Jesus right now. That something changes in your walk, and it's that change that God is after. Look at what it says in um, John 15, 13. This is how God proved, Jesus proved he's the ultimate friend. He said this, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. Scripture right here gives us an example of what is the ultimate greatest action that a friend could possibly do to prove their love for another friend is to lay your life down for another friend, is to give up your life. And so basically Jesus is going, look, I'm proving to you that I'm your friend. In fact, I'm the ultimate friend. I came to this earth to lay my life down, to willingly set aside my Godhead, my power, all of this, to come down to be one of you, to sacrifice for you. Because I believe this. One of the attributes about a good friend is that they would sacrifice to one another. You guys agree with that statement? Is that a good friend is there to sacrifice for you. They're willing to go, hey, you know what? My car broke down today. Can I borrow your car? And you know what? A good friend will say, you know what? Yeah, I see you. You're my friend. I love you. Here's my car. You can call them in the middle of the night when you're hurting and you're just, can you just pray for me or something's going on? And a good friend will actually pick up the phone instead of letting it go to voicemail, right? And catching you the next day. You know, they'll actually be there for you. And one of the greatest things that we understand about friendships is the sacrifice involved. Think about that, that, that kid, Rick, that was born handicapped, right? We saw in that video there. And here's his dad going, wait, you want to run a race? How are you going to do that? I'm not a runner. I can't run a race. But here's what dad did. 
I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to become a runner. I'm going to enter marathons for you. I'm going to enter triathlons for you. We're going to run and ride bikes across America because I want a relationship with you, my son, because I love you. And here's Jesus going, I pay the ultimate price for you. Have I not proven my friendship? And we need to remember that he wants to be our friend no matter what. It's more than just this religious gathering, this God that we know, but he is our friend. And the no matter what's in our life sometimes keep us from being Jesus' friend. That Jesus wants to be your friend no matter what. Oh, but no matter what includes that I'm kind of messed up and I'm kind of dirty and I'm actually kind of hiding some sin in my life that no one knows about and I haven't even really talked that much about and I'm just not worthy. The other night, someone in my mini church said they were sharing with a friend and uh, the, the friend kind of comes to our church off and on and the friend said, it's not really a good thing for me to be friends with Jesus or really to go to church that much. I just don't feel like I fully belong because I've got this going on in my life and I'm still kind of like this and this isn't even cleaned up. And the friend just says, that's not what Jesus is all about. That's not what Hope Chapel is all about. We're not here to judge you and to make you feel bad and to condemn you. We're here to encourage you and help you get rid of all of that kind of stuff. Amen? And so Jesus is the friend that we need to allow into our lives and to trust and know that he already knows everything about you. And that if you accept foot in this church, the walls aren't going to fall down and it's not going to burn up because you're here. He's actually going, you're the kind of people that I like the best, actually. Because look at what he says in Matthew eleven nineteen. This is what people call Jesus. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. And Jesus goes, absolutely right. I am a friend of those kind of people. Mark 2, 15 to 17, where he meets his, his friend Matthew, who at the time is called Levi, who's a corrupt tax collector, meaning he is not loved by the people because he cheats them out of their money. It says in verse 15, later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But then look at this phrase. You should underline this one in your Bible. This is so cool. It says, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. In other words, all of the disreputable people, the sinners, the ones that the other people didn't like, those are the dudes that Jesus hung out with. Those are the ones that Jesus said, that's why I came. That's who I'm calling out to. That's who I want to be friends with. I love that line. There's many people like that that are Jesus' followers. Verse 16 says, but when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Ouch. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Don't let the no matter what's keep you from a relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants to be your friend no matter what. Oh yeah, but the this, but the that. No, 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 no. Jesus wants to hang out because you're like that. He wants to fix what's broken in your life. Never think that you're too sinful, unworthy, or unflawed. I talk to lots of people in this church, in churches, Christianity across the world. People are doing good with the Lord. They're maybe in a good relationship for months, years, whatever, and then they slip up. They have a bad night. They go out and do things that they wish they never did, or they, they backslide into something. And you know what happens? The self-condemnation and the self-loathing and the unworthiness settles in, and then those people are like, I can't go back there. Those people know how I used to be, and now they know how I am. And how shame is that? And God's not going to accept me. I used to pretend, or I used to claim that I was a Christian, and now I know it's just pretend because, look, I'm really a sinner. And God's going, you couldn't be more wrong. And Hope Chapel Kanyoi Bay is going, you couldn't be more wrong. Get back to church. Get back to God's family. Jesus wants to be your friend. He knows where you've been. He knows what you've done. 
He knows everything about you, and he's still reaching out. You know, there's a lot of people in, in Scripture that I look at, and I think we're friends of God. It talks about Moses, and Moses got to speak with God face to face. Remember, he came off the mountain glowing. Shekinah glory of the Lord, yeah? That's my um, sound effect for glowing. I don't know where I got that from, but sometimes there's people in Scripture that we see that we're close to God, right? And we see, well, Moses, we think about David. David in Acts was called a man after God's own heart. And you're going, wow, that guy was a friend of God. Even though David messed up with Bathsheba, David messed up in taking the census, David wasn't allowed to build the temple, it had to go to his son Solomon, the Bible still calls David a man after his own heart because David repented when he needed to and he, he did what was right. But there's one character that I really love the most that Jesus showed friendship to that you and I would go, what? No, we, not, he's not a good example. But here's the fact that our, our God, our Jesus, wants to be our friend no matter what. And it was actually Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you guys remember the story in the Gospels, Jesus went to the Garden to pray. He told his disciples, hey, keep awake. Stop falling asleep, you donkeys, right? Because they kept falling asleep. He said, stay awake, pray with me, right? And they just, they couldn't do it, right? But then when they came to arrest Jesus, and Judas, out of the 12 guys that Jesus picked to be his boys here on earth, to have his back, to protect him, to walk with him, to learn from him. Judas was the one sour apple, right? The one rotten egg in the bunch or whatever. And he turned out to betray Jesus. And on that night, he came with the Roman officers and he said, you know what, the one that I kiss on the cheek, that's the guy, that's Jesus. Arrest him and do what you, you need to do with him. Jesus knew this. And when they showed up in the garden and Jesus had been praying, and as I read the scripture, this is one of the, part of the, the, the gospels that I start getting angry because you know Judas and you're just like, how could you do that? This guy was your savior. This guy was your best friend. You hung out with him on earth for, for three years. He entrusted you with the money of the disciples. You were the treasurer and you betrayed him for 30 pieces. So I start getting mad when I read this and Judas is leading that and I just get, ah. But then there's this verse that I get hung up on. I think it's Matthew 26, verse 50. Go look it up. Judas comes to betray Jesus, to get him arrested and lead him to death. And here's the first words out of Jesus's mouth. My friend, do what you've come to do. Those two words in the very beginning right there blow me away. I'm thinking, I hate this guy, Judas. I hate what's coming up in the story. I'm mad right now. But here's Jesus going, I want to be your friend no matter what. So when some of us feel like, oh, I backslid, I had the, the life. This is the kind of love that Jesus has and he wants to be your friend to reach out. I think he was hoping and believing and hoping that against all hope, even right now in the midst of this, maybe I can convince Judas that I really do love him and that I forgive him no matter what. I know what he's coming to do. He's my friend. I mean, how must Judas have felt right that when he called him that? Instead of, oh, you betrayer, he just goes, hey, my friend. And, I, and we gotta really get a hold of this, how important friendship is with Jesus. Not just honor and, and praise the God, the King of Kings, but that there's this friendship aspect of our walk with God. You know how important friendship is? I was reading this article online. I get these emails, you know, from different uh, sources and this magazine and this online deal. It's called Real Age or something. But it's all, all on how to live healthy, how to eat healthy, how to exercise, how to stay young, right? You guys read those kind of things, the healthy things? That, come on, some of these, somebody's healthy in here. You know, you get them in your mailbox and you email and you read them. I, um, I always read them. I never really do what they tell me to do, but I feel really good just reading them, right? Anybody? You know, you're like... You know, I read that, you know, you got to do this, da 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 And it, just saying it makes you feel healthier, right? So I think I don't really got to go the extra mile and actually exercise because I know about exercise. Whenever I need to, I know what to do. So one of the things it said in this, in this website was, one of the things to keep you young, check this out, this is amazing, is just to spend more time hanging out with friends. 
And I thought, I can do that one. That one's easy, right? It says, yep, socializing and laughing it up with best buds can cut your odds for memory loss in half as well as make you twice as likely to avoid disabilities that could seriously cramp your later lifestyle, like not being able to dress or bathe yourself. In fact, getting together with friends boosts your chance of staying mobile and being able to manage everything from meals to meds by a whopping 150%. It says researchers can't pinpoint exactly what makes friends such a mini fountain of youth, but it's clear that staying mentally, physically, and socially active Helps keep both your brain and your body pumped up and tuned in. Isn't that cool? Is that really interesting? That just being a friend and having friends and practicing friendship actually makes you healthier and happier and keeps you young longer. And here's what I want to challenge you to today is build a friendship with Jesus. Build a friendship with Jesus, okay? Not just, oh yeah, I know I'm a good Christian and I follow Jesus. Yeah, that's good. But I'm saying go deeper. Allow him to come into that place and to just hang out with you. I think we get too much as Christians. Sometimes we get legalistic and we practice our disciplines and we get real religious when, sometimes when it comes to spending time with the Lord. And this is what I mean is we're so caught up with the act of doing devotions, journaling, praying, reading the word and stuff like that. We get so caught up in that that we kind of make it a religious ritual and we forget that the point of doing devotions is this, simply hanging out with Jesus Christ. And devotions are absolutely necessary and will grow your walk, but we don't want to be so caught up in it that when it's devotion time, you turn the switch on, and the rest of your day, you turn the switch off, because that's sometimes how we see it. We think that I had my time with Jesus, and that was those 15 minutes in the morning. Wait a minute. Jesus actually says in his word, pray without ceasing. Don't ever stop talking to God. It's like my wife. I have a relationship with my wife all day long, even if I'm at work for eight hours of the day. You know how I do it? I'm calling her. We're texting all day long. She's sharing dumb stuff the dog did and more reasons why I don't like him or, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, oh, ha, ha, I hate him. You know, no, just kidding. She's sharing about that. She's sharing about the kids. And I'm saying, oh, I just did this at work today. And hey, can you pray for me? But we have this ongoing relationship that is always being fostered and cared for. And I'm always just hanging out and spending time with my wife, even if I'm not physically there. See, the idea is that Jesus would be our friend, not something that we turn the religion switch on 15 minutes and I'll turn it off for the rest of the day because it's going to be nuts today. You guys get what I'm saying? I'm not dissing the devotions and the, the quiet time and the journaling. That's awesome. But don't make it something that goes on and off. Jesus is saying, hang out with me. Take me surfing with you. Take me to Starbucks with you. Take me wherever. Remember that I'm always there. See, the amazing thing about Jesus is um, you don't, no one has to know that you're talking to him all day long because it's prayer. And you're praying when you're driving, right? You don't have to pray it out loud. You're just thinking thoughts from the heart and the head. And he's talking back to you and he's encouraging you. And no one even has to know, but Jesus goes with you everywhere you go, right? When I was a, a teenager, um, coming up in this church, or one of our, our youth pastors, Jeff McKay, who went on to become a pastor um, in Japan and everything, he, um, he gave us an example. And me and Pastor Tom were in his youth group, and he always said, you know what, sometimes I'll just go to the coffee shop or to the restaurant, and I'll just say, uh, party for two? And so they'll go and they'll seat me, and they'll say, hey, is your friend coming? No, he's here. It's Jesus. And the waiter's <laughs> like, what? But he was real bold like that. He was an evangelist. He could just say it. And me and Tom are like, dude, this guy's crazy. <laughs> Should we tell my dad that their youth pastor is like having conversations with invisible people, you know? And we're just like, no, but that stuck with us. Both me and Tom are just like, that's real. Because you know what, you know what scripture says is if Jesus is our friend, we should just be hanging out with him all the time. So if I'm out 
shopping or if I'm surfing or I'm driving or whatever, it's not that I have to get into holy moment Carl. It's that Jesus already knows everything about me. I can't fake holiness with him. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. So just be real with him and talk to him. And if you're a new Christian, you don't have to have big words to talk to Jesus. Isn't that good for you to know? Because I don't know how many times we start mini churches and I get new Christians in there and they're like, don't make me pray, don't make me pray, don't make me pray, right? And I go, why? You, d- you just talk to God the same way you're talking to us. He, he knows you already. Just talk. And you got to just take that, that burden off of people that he wants to be just our friend. He goes out with us. Keep it relational, not religious. Hang out with Jesus everywhere you go. Learn to hang out with Jesus. Isn't that good right there? That's encouraging. But here's the third thing about, the, about God. The third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, 26, New King James Version, it says, But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to to your remembrance all things that I said to you, the helper. We forget that we have extra help in the Lord. We only turn to him in the big miracles. Oh God, this, you know, my, my house fell apart. I really need this. I need a miracle. But we forget that he's there to help us in so many other aspects of our life, understanding, conviction, knowing right and wrong, guiding us. And we're like, I know and love the Father and I love Jesus and the Holy Spirit I'm not too sure about, but he's cool right? And we don't really take them up on all of the help that's available. You know what kind of things that the Holy Spirit is created for us to do to be our helper? Look at this list I got over here. And, and I got, just to let you know, preface it, I got two pages of this. I'm going to read it really quickly. And you're going, oh, that was good stuff. I missed it. We went through the list. Here's what I'm going to tell you right now. A trick, a tip. Take a picture of this right now with your phones. You'll have it in your phone. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. It'll, it'll, set you free later on to go read all the notes. But here, look at what the Holy Spirit does to help us. He convicts us of right and wrong. He guides us. He tells us things that are to come. He brings glory to Jesus. He hears God's truth and he makes them known. He comforts and he strengthens us when we're feeling weak and scared. He appoints pastors over us. They don't just come to power on their own. God, actually through the Holy Spirit, appoints them. He speaks God's message. He tells us that we're God's children. He helps us in our weakness. Go to the next page. We'll come back to it. You can take a picture of it after. Intercedes on our behalf. He reveals God's secrets. He knows God's thoughts. He teaches the gospel to us. He lives among us and within us. He washes, sanctifies, and justifies us. He gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us new spiritual life. He leads us in the ways of God. He produces spiritual fruit in our lives and many, many other things. But this is what the Holy Spirit, when he says, I'm here to help you, How many of you guys are actually taking him up on his offer of help in all those areas? Because I'll tell you, I'm the first one. I don't do that. I don't do all of those things that he has. And I need to learn to come back to the basics. The Holy Spirit is my helper. Am I someone that is refusing the help? Because sometimes we get that in our lives is we refuse the help. We kind of say, no, I'm good on my own. But really, even that, that handicapped guy, Rick, who's in the chair, he could never accomplish all of those things if it wasn't for the help of his, his father. Amen? And there's stuff in our life that God is going, you have dreams, you have hopes, you have desires, you have all this stuff you want to happen. I'm the guy to help you get to get you there if you'll just take me up on my offer. And I think there's, I, I've cataloged four main reasons why we don't take up his help. And maybe you can write these down because I think one of them might apply to you. I know they apply to me. Number one, one reason we don't use the help of the Holy Spirit is pride. We get to feeling, I'm in control, I got this, I don't really need help. Thanks, God. I know you're there if I ever need you, but pretty much all the time, I can solve the problems on my own. In our own pride of feeling that, no, I'm in control. I got this thing. But you know what happens is it takes us 10 times as long to get to the thing that we're after, or sometimes we don't ever get the thing at all because we're not taking advantage of the help the Holy Spirit has for us. Here's what I mean by this. I was in mini church the other night, 
and we were talking about some concept, and I, and I remembered a scripture. And I'm sitting there with my iPad and the notes and the Bible, and I remembered a scripture. And we talked about the scripture, and they're like, oh, where is it? And I go, oh, I think it's in, and I couldn't remember. And I was like, what book is it in? Is it in Ezekiel? Is it a prophetic book? Is it in Revelation? And I was trying to look for this concept that we were talking about. So I'm going, man, I'm the pastor. I should know where this stuff is, right? And so my own pride is here, and I'm looking up in my Bible. Where the heck is this thing? And you know what comes to my head? There's an easier way to do this. What, what, what's the answer, guys? Google it. <laughs> right? I thought of that, but you know what happened? Pastor's pride got in the way. I'm a pastor. I can find this in my Bible. And all these guys are watching me. They probably could care less. But I, I, my stupid pride got in the way. I'm in control. I can pull this one off, right? Let me find it. I'm searching through all the books. I'm searching, searching, searching. It's taking forever. And finally, I just humbled myself and turned to Google, right? Where does it say this? Boop, there it is. Hey, there's the scripture, right? And it's kind of like that with us and the Lord is we need to humble ourselves and turn to the Holy Spirit. We need to just let him do what he does to help us because he can get us there a whole lot faster. But pride gets in the way sometimes. We want to look good. We want to think we can do it. Here's the second one is fear sometimes holds us back. You ever had that feeling where I want to pray, Holy Spirit, you can do amazing, crazy, supernatural stuff, but that's scary. So I'm just going to stay in the comfort zone because that's weird. I don't really want any of that. Like, what if I start to pray, Holy Spirit, and ask for you to do something, and something crazy happens, and I get out of my, my comfort zone, and I'm just not ready for that kind of stuff. Let me tell you this. Playing it safe will get you nowhere in the kingdom of God. Absolutely nowhere. If you want to be one of those Christians, it's like, well, he's given me this help and this power and all that, but I'm just, it's weird and it's scary. I'm just going to sit over here. Well, God's going, then get ready to settle for second best. Because I've got so much more for you. But Christianity is all about getting out of the comfort zone, taking a step of faith, being willing to say, Holy Spirit, I trust you. I need help. I don't know how. I don't know what you're going to do. But let's go for it. And watch what will happen in your life. Watch what he could do for you. Watch the help you can receive. But we've got to get over our fear. Here's the third thing. Sometimes we're just lazy. Right? We're happy with second best. We need to strive to be a people that say, God, I want the absolute best that you have for my life. I don't want to settle with second best. When I get to heaven and I get the well done, good and faithful servant, I want the, yeah, Carl, you did it. I don't want the like, oh, well, Carl, you, you kind of pulled it off. You barely made it. Good job. You know, I want to know that I get to be rewarded with the full mansion in heaven, right? I don't want to live in the, the projects in heaven. I don't want heaven's ghetto. Because the Bible says that, doesn't it? It says that there are actually different levels of your rewards in heaven. It actually says that. I don't understand it, but here's what I'm thinking is I could get the, the kind of ghetto in the heaven. You know, I'm glad to be there, but I'm looking at the guys on the hill and I wish I was there. I want to be the guy that gets everything from God. I'm not going to be so lazy to say, Holy Spirit, you're there to help me. It's just not worth the trouble. I'm good. I'm good enough. Amen. I don't want to be lazy when it comes to the help that's available for me. And the fourth reason that maybe we don't take up the help is simply because we're unaware. However, I think in today's day and age, and if you sit in this church, you can't use the excuse that you're unaware of who the Holy Spirit is because we're going to talk about it. Because the other thing is we have the full and complete word of God. There was, there was a group of people in Ephesians, in Ephesus, back in Acts 19, that Paul came to, and he goes, hey, are you guys Christians? You know Jesus? Yeah, we're believers. We're excited. Oh, and you got the Holy Spirit. The holy what? They didn't know who he was. We, tell us about the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in full power yet. See, they met Jesus and had salvation, so they automatically had relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but they didn't understand the full, full-on power and 
just all the gifts and all the strengths and all the help that the Holy Spirit could provide. So Paul says, let me pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon you and you receive him completely. And suddenly their lives were empowered. They took a hold of the help, but they just didn't know. However, for us, that's a poor excuse. If we say, well, I just didn't really know there was more help from the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? I just told you. You took a picture of it on the screen. It's in our Bibles. It's in this church. Go to the prayer and healing service. Listen to scripture. You're gonna hear the the stuff and the help that the Holy Spirit has for you. I don't think we can use this. But I kind of want to end with this. And I'd I'd like the band to come up if they could. um, I want to end with what it would look like. I want you to kind of take a, imagine for a minute, if you could actually get a view of what God is trying to say he wants to be in your life. If you could actually look at God differently than the way that you do. And some of you are going, oh, I heard this before. I know this already. Do you? Really? Have you? Because are you living with a full view of God that says, when I'm scared and I'm freaking out, I run to my papa. Not just I run to God because he's big and strong. No, I run into the loving arms of my father who's proud of me. So when the devil comes along and tells me I'm unworthy and I'm not good and I can't succeed and I just need to stop it and don't even be a Christian, my heavenly father is going, no, I don't care about what you can't do. I care about all the things that you have done and that you will do because I believe in you. If you really got a view of God as your father, if you really got a proper view of God as Jesus, as your friend, and that you're not here to have holy time and non-holy time, but you're hanging out with him. He walked in your shoes already. He, from God in heaven, came down, became one of us. He knows everything you're going through. There's nothing you can hide from him. He sees it all, and he still wants to hang out with you and just have that Jesus hangout time. Then if you fully took advantage of all the power that the Holy Spirit has for you, and every day you said, Holy Spirit, fill me up, you, you can help me in so many ways. I humble myself. Here's my pride, my control. Never mind. You show me because you're here to help me. Imagine how empowered your life would look. See, a couple months ago, I went through a really, really hard time in my life. I went through just one of those personal deals where you're just under attack and things are mounting up. And you guys ever go through those things where it's just oh, yeah. you go through it and you don't need to even tell everybody else about it, but it's just like a God, why am I hurting like this? Why is this happening? How come I have these views of myself or what's going on? And I really went through it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna get up here someday and I'm gonna preach to you guys on everything I went through and how it all worked out. But I'm, I'm kind of just in the process. I'm, I've come out of it and I've seen the light. And someday I'll share about everything and, and that'll be a really cool day. But I went through one of those times that was just really rough and just terrible. I felt just so junk, like my life was falling apart. And I prayed and I said, God, I need to know you in a way that I'm not tapping into right now because I'm not able to get the comfort and everything that I need, the strength from you. And God, as I was laying in bed praying this, God gave me this vision of him and who he is. And it had to do everything with the three persons of who he is and how I relate to him. And he gave me this picture and here's the picture. I'm 10 years old. I'm a 10-year-old kid, and I'm in this beautiful, nice, big house, but it's a comfortable house. Like, I feel like it's, it's home. And it wasn't my house I live in or any house I've ever lived in, but it was this picture of, like, I'm in this comfortable house, and it, it feels good. It suits me. I, this is my house. And standing in front of me is this tall man that's very respectful looking. He looks like, basically, I just get the feeling that everybody respects him. He's strong. He's tall. He's good looking. He's stern but he's loving and I look in his eyes and he's just got nothing but love in his eyes and he's proud of me and I'm just this 10 year old kid and I'm knowing right there as I'm asking God show me who you are I know that that's father God right there and he's this this big respected strong guy but he's just looking at me with eyes that say I love you I'm so proud of you you're my kid and I just can feel I'm this 10 year old kid just going oh man that's the ultimate picture of a dad of a father that's 
perfect. And I'm just like, yeah. And then on the side of me, this is trippy. There's this other 10-year-old kid, and he's kind of got me in a headlock right here. And he's doing one of those deals, you know, the noogie or whatever, and he's uh, wrestling with me. And yet it feels so good and so right. And it's like when you're a little kid and you wrestle with your best friends, and you're not fighting with them. You're just having a good time, and you're just so close that you don't care. And he's just wrestling, and I'm just like, oh, oh, there's the God the Father. And I realize that's Jesus. That's my brother. We're co-heirs to God. We're co-heirs in Christ. That means he's my brother that went before me, right? Scripture tells us that. And I'm thinking, my best friend and my brother, and he's just with me, and he's on my side. He's not uh, in front of me. He's not back behind me, but we're, we're friends. And this verse comes alive to me. We're friends. And I'm just like, oh, this feels so good, the family aspect. And then as we're there and I'm wrestling with this guy, looking at God the Father, I'm feeling this pushing from behind. I'm feeling like someone is, and, I'm, and I can't see who's back there, but I get this thought that it's like another kid the same age as us who's just laughing and excited and is pushing me forward to do bigger and better things and to go farther than I've ever been before. And it hit me in bed that night. That's my picture of God. That's God as my father. That's God as my friend. That's God as my helper. And I need all three so bad because I am in a terrible place in my life right now. And I need to know the personal relationship with God. And when God gave me that vision, I can tell you, my dark world just got brighter. And it helped me to climb up out of that pit that I was in and out of where I'd been at. And every time that I go through that now, and this was a couple months ago, but every time that I'm feeling doubt or discouragement or or not confident or thinking I can't pull my job off or I'm not the best dad or husband or, you know, whatever, I instantly can go to that vision and suddenly I'm just, I feel peace, I feel strength, and I'm fired up and I can do this. And I just wanted to share that with you is I don't know where you're at, but I think possibly a lot of us need to come back to that personal relationship with God in these three areas. And um, I want us to just kind of say a prayer right now. If we could just bow our heads. Lord, we want to come before you right now and I want to give opportunity, Father God, for for people that are maybe like me that have, have gotten to the point where God is just a big, nice, loving, entity, being, person out there, but I'm not allowing my view to be that of a personal father, a personal friend, and a personal helper. And if that's you here right now and you're ready to just say, I need to come back to that, I want to come back to that, then I want to say a prayer with you right now. Then I want you to just kind of own up to it. And not that everybody sees you, but I'm going to ask you in a minute here for you to raise your hand. I want to know who is willing to own up and just say, God, I'm sorry. I want to come back to that place where I'm right in your arms, where I'm hanging out with you all the time, Jesus, and where, Holy Spirit, I'm letting you drive, that I'm getting out of the way and I'm letting you control and help my life. So if that's you, I'm just going to ask you right now in this place, in this moment, lift your hand right now without shame. Just lift it up. My hand's in the air. I see hands all across the room saying, God, we need that. We need that personal relationship again. Lord, thank you for every heart that's honest enough to say this to you to come back to that place. Let's put our hands down right now and we're just going to pray. Father God, those that raise our hands, you know us, you see us. You already knew that we needed to raise our hand. And so, Lord, we did. It's just a symbolic statement of, of what our hearts need to do. Lord, I pray that you would bring us back into that intimate relationship with you, that first love talks about in Revelations 2.4 that we've lost our first love. We do all the motions, we live good Christian lives, but we've lost that passion for that personal relationship in our first love with you. Lord, we repent of wandering away for making our walk with you dusty or stale or old or moldy. Lord, we want to come back to the freshness of who you are. God, you're our father, our Abba Father, our dad. You're our best friend, Jesus. We're going to take you everywhere we go. And Holy Spirit, we're going to give you room to help us. We're not going to be too prideful, fearful, lazy, or unaware. Lord, have your way in us and in all these. 
Lord, we come back to you now. We pray that you would just welcome us back to that tight relationship, that we could have that vision of you that we need to.